Hello, and welcome to the first installment of a customized edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, created for WTJU. I'm Sean Tubbs, a community journalist, and back in the summer of 2020, I started a newsletter and podcast about what's called the built environment. What is that? Here's a definition from the United States Environmental Protection Agency. The built environment touches all aspects of our lives, encompassing the buildings we live in, the distribution systems that provide us with water and electricity, and the roads, bridges, and transportation systems we use to get from place to place. Charlottesville Community Engagement tries to cover as much of that as possible in the area around the University of Virginia, what's known as the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. Listen to enough of these and you'll get to know more about how decisions are made and how you might get involved. On this program, a 59-year-old Charlottesville man was killed crossing US-29 Tuesday evening, very near the location of a planned pedestrian bridge and in an area where more housing units are soon expected. The Virginia Department of Transportation has begun work on a series of transportation projects in the intersection of Hydraulic and US-29. Elected officials in Nelson County and Greene County learn about a transportation safety study that the Regional Planning District is producing to help get more funding for construction of such projects. Albemarle County is moving ahead with changes to the square in Crozet. And the Albemarle Board of Supervisors get a first look at a $629 million operating and capital budget for fiscal year 25. We begin the show with a WTJU public service announcement. The Carysbrook Performing Arts Center will present an evening with Dr. Dina Jennings on Saturday, February 24th at 7 p.m. Jennings, a mentor artist in the 2023-2024 Folklife Apprenticeship Program, will perform Appalachian and folk Indian music on handmade gourd instruments. She is the host of the Afro-Latchin on-time music gathering an annual retreat and concert featuring black American string band musicians from across the U.S., Canada, and the United Kingdom. The venue is located at 8880 James Madison Highway in Fork Union. For more information, visit virginiafolklife.org. A 59-year-old man was killed Tuesday night after being struck by a moving vehicle on US-29 near India Road. The Albemarle County Police Department reported Wednesday morning that Charles Russell Gray of Charlottesville was transported to the University of Virginia Medical Center but later died of his injuries. A press release from the Albemarle County Police Department said that the county is looking for witnesses to the crash and people are to contact ACPD's traffic unit at 434-296-5807. If you want to remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers at 434-977-4000 or email crimestoppers at albemarle.org. The Albemarle County Police Department Fatal Crash Reconstruction Team has been reviewing the incident. The incident was not a hit-and-run as the driver stayed after the incident, according to county officials. There was only one vehicle involved, and the driver was not injured. This is the first pedestrian death in Albemarle County of 2024. 
The general area where Gray was struck and killed is the location of a planned pedestrian bridge in the planning stages. India Road leads into the Seminole Square Shopping Center in the city of Charlottesville. Across US-29 is Stonefield. Here is Will Stowe, the construction manager for several projects being built in the hydraulic road area. The pedestrian bridge that is across 29 is still in design. We haven't reached final design for that element yet. More from that interview in just a moment. This is not the first pedestrian death in the area. On January 13, 2023, a pedestrian was struck and killed crossing US-29 at Fashion Square Mall, according to the Virginia Department of Transportation's crash database. Another person was killed the same way on November 3, 2020. Another pedestrian was killed on Rio Road at Fashion Square Mall on June 19, 2022. Another pedestrian was killed on October 25, 2019, crossing US-29 across from Rivanna Plaza near Gander Drive. There were no pedestrian fatalities in Albemarle in 2017 or 2018. At the same time, more housing units are slated to be built right along US-29, which could lead to additional pedestrians being in the area. Virginia Supportive Housing continues to raise funding for an 80-unit facility on the site of the former Red Carpet Inn, with both Albemarle and Charlottesville having committed new funds to close a revenue gap. According to Albemarle's development dashboard, there are 227 apartments under construction in one building at Stonefield, and there's a site plan for another 112 units approved in another building. Across U.S. 29 in Charlottesville, the Great Eastern Management Company has filed a site plan for 352 units to be in a redeveloped Seminole Square shopping center. Less than half a mile to the north are two suburban uses that may soon be converted to a more urban form. Plans have been filed in the city of Charlottesville to redevelop the Hibachi Grill and Supreme Buffet at 1185 Seminole Trail. That would be for a four-story apartment building with 250 units. That project will be accessible from both US-29 and Hillsdale Drive and will be one of the last developments reviewed under the city's old zoning. RMD Properties has filed a rezoning for 1193 Seminole Trail, just across the line into Albemarle. The original proposal that was submitted last February sought a range between 200 and 290 units, but the number of places to live has been reduced to a range of between 50 and 165. More on planning and people and pedestrians and safety and future editions of this program. Construction is underway for a series of projects that will alter the way motorists and other travelers navigate through the intersection of US-29 and Hydraulic Road, adding elements of infrastructure that have to do double duty for one of the area's busiest crossroads. Visitors to Hydraulic Road will notice orange barrels within the right-of-way owned by the Commonwealth of Virginia. We've started uh, some early drainage work and some, some demolition work that needs to take place. That's Will Stowe, a construction engineer for a series of improvements that have four components, including installing a roundabout at Hydraulic and Hillsdale. Other elements include a pedestrian bridge over US-29 and removing left-hand turn movements from Hydraulic onto US-29. The Commonwealth Transportation Board approved the package of projects in round four of a selection process called SmartScale, 
after an intersection project with a larger scope failed to qualify for funds in round three. Here's Hal Jones, a project manager with VDOT's Culpeper District. We, we looked at this in the 2018 smart scale round, uh, developed a grade separated uh, intersection at hydraulic in 29, and it scored way way down on the list uh, because of the cost. I think it was on the order of $100 million to do that work. Those four projects have a budget of $24 million. Another change between the two smart scale rounds is that the bridge over US-29 at Zan Road was originally to have carried vehicles, but now it will be for non-motorized transport only. Some elements of what's officially known as Hydraulic Road and US-29 transportation improvements trace back to the Route 29 Solutions Initiative. That refers to a series of transportation investments made after the final demise of a project to build a 6.2-mile western bypass. That project was dormant for many years before being resurrected by the administration of former Governor Bob McDonnell. A few years later, when McDonnell left office, the project did not have the support of his successor, Terry McAuliffe, and the dozens of millions of dollars that had been allocated for the bypass went instead to an extension of Burkmar Drive, the routing of Rio Road above US-29, and other projects. This series of projects are classified as a design-build project, where a single contractor oversees the engineering, right-of-way acquisition, utility relocation, and construction. Here's Will Stowe again. Unlike a normal VDOT project, we have some of those things going on concurrently right now. The four projects are at different stages of the process that takes funded ideas to something that people will be able to use. We have fully designed uh, the elements along Hydraulic Roadway. Uh, the pedestrian bridge that is across 29 is still in design. We haven't reached final design for that element yet. Um, currently, we are acquiring right-of-way for the project. For now, construction is taking place primarily at night with lane closures. From 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. are the typical hours. We have a, some extended hours on the weekends, just a little bit longer, but not, not a whole lot different. Stowe said there are currently no detours, but one will occur at the intersection of Hillsdale and Hydraulic, perhaps as early as this summer. One item that has caused some concern is the removal of the left-hand turn movements from Hydraulic onto US-29. The primary reason for that is to uh, really increase the throughput. We take the time that it takes for those left turn movements to, uh, to get green time at the signal. We take that time and give it to the other movements, uh, Route 29 and uh, the hydraulic through movements. Uh, so that really provides a lot better throughput for both of those roads. Stowe said motorists who take those turns now will find alternatives if they think of the additional ways that exist to get around the area. In the future, that will also include another roundabout at District Avenue and Hydraulic that was funded in Smart Scale Round 5 and will be built in a few years. What we're telling people the primary different routes are if you were coming Hydraulic eastbound and you used to take a left to go 29 north, uh, you can simply go through the intersection, uh, come down to the roundabout that we're going to be building at Whole Foods and do a U-turn, come back and take a right turn to go north. Westbound motorists on Hydraulic who want to go south onto US-29 would have to make a right-hand turn and then do a U-turn. 
In the future, they'd be able to travel through the intersection and reverse course at that District Avenue roundabout. Some might be asking how this got approved. There was a design public hearing for the project in May of 2022. That's a mandatory step in the public engagement process. The District Avenue roundabout will have to go through its own design public hearing and public comment period in the near future. They're just beginning the scoping process for that and currently it's scheduled to be a bid-build project which means and and there are some right-of-way impacts with likely relocations of residents so that one's going to take quite a bit of time to develop but um, it, it's yeah. underway. Would you like to know more about that District Avenue project? Mark your calendar for April 16th when a citizen information is to be scheduled. As this project continues through construction, I'll be trying to cover it as much as I can. Also interested in what other people have to say about it. If you can, drop me a line at info at infoseville.com. You are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement on WTJU, and it's time for the second public service announcement. Charlottesville Now presents Banned Books and Bagels, a screening of the 2024 Oscar-nominated short film, The ABCs of Book Banning, a powerful and timely examination of book banning efforts that are sweeping the country. The screening will take place at the Northside Library in Charlottesville on Saturday, February 24th at 11 a.m. After the film, panelists will discuss book bans in Virginia and share their lived experiences of not seeing books that reflect and speak to them. This includes a bounteous bagel spread for refreshments. The event is free and open to the public, but registration is required by visiting seavillenow.org events. Three more segments to go today. Local officials around the Charlottesville region are in the process of endorsing work that the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission is currently doing to help draw down more federal money for transportation safety projects. The TJPDC secured a $857,600 grant from the U.S. Department of Transportation to create what's known as a Comprehensive Safety Action Plan for its six-member localities. This is a prerequisite for receiving funding from the 2021 Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, and specifically a program called Safe Streets for All. One person working on the project appeared before the Nelson County Board of Supervisors on February 13, 2024. Curtis Scarpignato is a planner with the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. By developing this comprehensive safety action plan, we are going to render Nelson County and the region more broadly eligible to receive funding for implementation projects through SS4A. So this opens up a new pot of money potentially for uh, projects in the future. Scarpignato said the TJPDC will work closely with Nelson County staff to develop a local plan listing projects that could help reduce crashes. The TJPDC will also help with grant compliance. For it all to work, 
the TJPDC needs resolutions of support from all of the member localities that are participating. So from 2018 to 2022, there were 173 such serious injuries or fatalities on the roads in Nelson County. And the commitment must include a goal and timeline for eliminating those roadway fatalities and serious injuries, which may be accomplished through an ambitious percentage reduction goal. Nelson County Supervisor Jesse Rutherford pointed out that the 32 fatalities listed in the slide presentation for that five-year period. I'd be interested to see where those fatalities were located in our community. That information can be found on the Virginia Department of Transportation's safety dashboard. You can get information on any locality in Virginia on the interactive website. Supervisors endorsed the resolution to set the goal of reducing those fatalities in half by 2045. A few hours later, Scarpignato and other TJPDC staff traveled the 54 miles from Lovingston to Stannardsville to make a presentation to the Greene County Board of Supervisors and to secure their support. So between 2018 and 2022, there were 125 deaths of serious injuries on the roads in Greene County. That breaks down as 10 fatalities and 115 serious injuries. Supervisor Davis Lamb wanted a further breakdown. Those fatalities that you have, are some of those pedestrians, I know next to the corner store, Route 607, they've had some fatalities, but there was pedestrian crossing the road. A check of VDOT's crash database shows two pedestrian fatalities in green in 2018, including one just south of Route 607. There was another one at Route 607 in 2019 but there were no pedestrian deaths in the next three years countywide. There was one pedestrian fatality on U.S. 33 business in Standardsville in 2023. Another member of the board was skeptical that the reduction goal as stated was realistic. Here is Francis McGowan. I mean, you're saying that you're going to decrease the death rate by 2045 by 50 percent. So you're going to reduce that number to one fatality per year and 12 serious injuries, even though we're looking at a population growth of at least 35 to 40 percent. McGowan suggested it would be more honest to state the reduction target as part of a per capita basis. I, I don't think there's any way, no matter what you did, unless maybe you turned off every vehicle there was, that you would actually get anywhere near what you're talking about. Scarpignato said the county could use different metrics if they wanted, but the choice was made to replicate what the Virginia Department of Transportation is using. The way I would think of this goal is, is more about committing to the action of trying to resolve the roadway safety issues on the roadways. It's not going to be necessarily about this exact number we pick. Supervisor Lamb expressed a concern about bike lanes being close to the roadway. He would like more protection. These bicycle paths they have right on the edge of the road and they have a line and the bicycle, they got the riders, you know, painted on there and all. And I said, I'd rather have just a small strip of grass and then a walkway with a bicycle path because I don't know, I know it may cost extra, but people are a whole lot safer. Scarpignato said the Comprehensive Safety Plan action would address safety for all users of roadways. Lamb had one more comment. Everybody talks about walkability or something like that, walk to the store. Might do that in Los Angeles, but you can't do it here. <laughs> Supervisors endorsed the resolution. 
Scarpignato said the board should expect a report with recommendations in about a year and a half. In June of 2012, Albemarle County acquired a 0.36-acre parcel in downtown Crozet from CSX Transportation in a transaction in which no money changed hands. The strip of land is known as The Square and spans between Crozet Avenue and Oak Street on the western edge of the Barnes Lumberyard. Nearly 14 years later, the county's Facilities and Environmental Services Department reports that a project to improve the space is close to a development milestone. Here is the top story in the latest report from FES. This revenue-sharing project with VDOT will improve Americans with Disabilities Act accessibility to local businesses by adding additional ADA parking and eight additional ramps. The county will also be widening and smoothing uneven sidewalks to make this a safer place for all. The project has a total cost estimate of $1.5 million, according to a dashboard that is part of Virginia Department of Transportation's six-year improvement program. The cost is evenly split between Albemarle County and VDOT, as this is a revenue-sharing program. The work will also prohibit left turns from the square onto Crozet Avenue, and an entrance to property that is now owned by the Virginia Passenger Rail Authority will be relocated. The Virginia Passenger Rail Authority purchased this entire line from CSX sometime in the last few years. According to the FES report, the work at the square was to have happened concurrently with the redevelopment of the Barnes Lumberyard, but the latter has not progressed to the design phase. Here's more from the report. The financial benefits associated with combining the projects have been negated, so the project is scheduled to be ready for bid advertisement in April 2024, with construction anticipated to begin in late summer. Construction is expected to take roughly a year. More from the Facilities and Environmental Services report in future editions of the newsletter. One more story to go today, and uh, there's a lot more to come from this. This is the budget for fiscal year 25 in Albemarle County. Albemarle County Executive Jeffrey Richardson has presented the Board of Supervisors with a recommended operating and capital budget of $629,054,446. That's an increase of about $74.4 million over the current fiscal year. Board, I'm proud to say that this recommended budget that's before you today is balanced on the same tax rates as the current year. Those tax rates are a real property tax rate of 0.854 cents per $100 of assessed value and a personal property tax rate of $3.42 per $100 of assessed value. Richardson's direction for the budget comes from the Strategic Plan, a document last adopted by the Board of Supervisors in October 2022. That plan guides budget development over multiple years. This year's budget is titled Building Momentum, Transforming Our Future, carrying on from the title of this year's budget, which is Activating the Strategic Plan to Strengthen Our Foundation. It is building momentum. Year two of this five-year strategic plan, if you look inside this budget, you will see a lot of things that we are doing, a lot of things that we're going to finish this year, a lot of things that we're going to open this year, and this is momentum as we go into year two. The document itself reflects more spending on public safety. 
Part of the county's new court facilities will come online in late 2025, and the county also has to pay more of the share for firefighters hired through grants from the Federal Emergency Management Agency. In FY25, we're beginning to pick up some costs that previous policy and funding decisions require. The new courts were a capital expense, but now require revenue for staffing and operating the new building and the expanded square footage. Richardson said federal COVID-19 relief funds are now receding. We use these funds to do exactly what we thought we could do. One-time money that we quickly spun into programs that would make meaningful impact. Richardson said Albemarle will also be paying more for transit to make up for reduced federal and state revenue that went to transit agencies to help keep them afloat as ridership dropped in the early pandemic. Recommended expenditures also equal $629 million, $54,446, with 39% going to local government and 58% going to Albemarle County Public Schools. Superintendent Matt Haas will unveil his budget request tomorrow. 3% of county expenditures will go to the city of Charlottesville per the revenue sharing agreement. The payment will increase from $15.7 million in fiscal year 24 to $17.76 million in fiscal year 25, a 13% increase. There is no new funding in the recommended budget for climate action funding. A total of $421,604 was allocated to that pool in fiscal year 24. Here are some more highlights of what's in the budget, but this is not complete. The budget adds additional funding to continue the microcat program and adds additional funds for Charlottesville area transit. The fiscal year 24 budget approved $1.3 million for cat, and that will increase by 43% to $1.859 million. The amount of local funds allocated for microcat in fiscal year 24 was $175,000. That will increase to $1.742 million in fiscal year 25. There's an additional $2 million going to Albemarle's housing fund. The budget anticipates that the first phase of Biscuit Run will be complete in fiscal year 25 with over four miles of trails. Revenue collected through the disposable plastic bag tax will begin to go toward litter cleanups on county roadways. The recommended budget anticipates the hiring of 36.87 additional full-time equivalents for a total of 957.22 county employees. You can read the details of that on page 84 of the recommended budget. I will have more from this budget, including initial reactions from the Board of Supervisors in a future edition of the newsletter. What's next? There will be a public hearing on Richardson's budget on February 28th. That's followed by a series of work sessions. Stay tuned to Charlottesville Community Engagement in the Week Ahead newsletter on Sunday, as well as all sorts of other things. And if you've never looked at a municipal budget before, it's really a document that I encourage you to take a look at. There's a lot in those budgets about how we get to things like more sidewalks, uh, more schools, more firefighters, EMS. This is a very complicated community. I mean, all communities are pretty complicated. And the entire point of this particular program and doing this work is to try to give people a little bit more information. Because my idea is that if you have more information, you feel less powerless. And if you feel less powerless, you feel more empowered. And honestly, this is a community that deserves to have people in it who are empowered 
And the hope of all of what I do is to do just that because I want to live in that place. And I think that you might want to do that as well. Thank you for listening to this program. It is now time for the end of this one. And uh, this has been a lot of fun putting this one together. And now it's time for the end. And that's the end of this first edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement for WTJU. I'm Sean Tubbs, and for more information about what you've heard here today, go to infoseville.com, infoseville.com, which serves as the archive for the text version of the segments you've heard today with hundreds of other stories from the recent past. The whole point of doing this is to give people a place where you can go to find out information, and that's what infoseville.com is for. The opening music in today's program comes from P.J. Sykes, and interstitial music you hear throughout the program has come from Rocky, an entity from Washington, D.C., with items available on Bandcamp and YouTube, W-R-A-K-I, and that's how we end this program for WTJU. There were no volunteers in today's program, but if you'd like to volunteer in the future, we'll figure out a way. I'm Sean Tubbs. Thanks for listening, and now back to WTJU.